0: Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care.
1: Indeed they are, and uh, thank you so much for joining me this Monday morning. My name is Kathy Kayla, and this is the Dischem Medical Monday. During this time we always speak to I I get to interview some of the world's top experts in their fields. And we talk about conditions, we talk about disease, we talk about illness and how to prevent, how to live better, how to get more out of life. And um you know, this time of the year, gosh, is there anybody who isn't suffering from a cold or flu? Well I suppose I'm not, thank God. But um yeah, I thought, you know, especially now with this prevalence of swine flu, it's like I feel very, very out because everybody seems to have swine flu at the moment. So I've invited um, GP in private practice, Dr. Dave Daniel Israel, to come and join me and uh, to tell you about swine flu so that you can hopefully avoid it, know if you have it, how to recover from it, but really mostly how to get over it. So, welcome. Welcome to Chai FM. Thank you, Kathy.
0: Nice to be with you.
1: It's so lovely to be with you. Now, I just want to tell, I just want to tell you something that Daniel was one of our, in the very, very, very early days of Chai FM, he was still an intern at, I think you were at the Charlotte Motteke, which at that time was still Johannesburg Gen. <laughs> And you used to do the medical intern report. Do you remember that?
0: I was involved. It was wonderful. (laughs) It's come a long way. You've come
1: a long way, I'll say. (laughs) All right. So let's just talk about what's the difference between a cold and the flu? How do you know which one you have?
0: Okay. So they do present similarly, Mm -hmm. um, which is always the dilemma for parents more than doctors. Um, a cold, um, is characterized by rhinitis. Headache, okay. sore throat, rhinitis
1: being a runny, runny nose, runny nose. Okay.
0: and flu presents very similarly. So, I mean, you know the old saying, "You can't take every cold to the doctor." Um, it often leaves parents in a bit of a dilemma as to, and adults as to whether or not to even see a doctor if they are experiencing those symptoms. Um, when you dig a little bit deeper, not not in terms of examination, just in terms of your personal experience of the condition. You often will, uh, quite, the layman is quite able to see the difference. Flu actually causes damage to the cells in the body. Um, it's, it's a virus as well. A cold is the most common virus of a cold is a rhinovirus. But there are other viruses as well that cause colds. And flu is the layman's term for influenza. Influenza is a virus as well. Um, it comes from an Italian term which means to influence. I suppose because it influenced people's Everything, lives yes. over the hist- course of the world. And men, history, you know, when world. men
1: get flu, I mean, it's apparently it's much worse than childbirth. Really? Yeah, much, much worse. You
0: tell me more about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so what, so so, w- when a person presents with high fevers and body aches, and on top of that, the usual cold symptoms, often also with a cough and a sore throat that can be characterized by the influenza virus causing the flu. And we see in the world that there are usually, flu goes on the whole year. It's not just at this time of the year. Obviously the Northern Hemisphere has flu, has their winter at a different time to the Southern Hemisphere. So there are outbreaks in the Northern Hemisphere and outbreaks in the Southern Hemisphere. And um, that's how the flu virus continues to to move really across the world. Um, there are times when, when the environment is cold and dry, the virus is much more able to replicate and to move from host to host. And that's why at this time of the year, there are these outbreaks.
1: That's so interesting. So it's not really our behavior that changes, that influences how contagious somebody becomes. It's rather that the elements are different, that it is colder, it's drier, especially here in Gauteng.
0: So there was a study done, and it did show that in winter people stay indoors more and they're on top of each other more. so it makes and we can talk about how flu is spread, but it definitely influences the spread, because if you're sitting on top of someone who has flu, you're much more likely to get it than if you're playing outside in the park. But right. that said, the primary um, factor is the weather.
1: If you've got any questions, any comments, perhaps you have survived the swine flu, or perhaps you're going through it at the moment and listening to RHFM FM to keep you company, then uh, get in touch. Love to hear from you, and this is how you do it. You can send us an SMS on 34519. You can also use Telegram or WhatsApp on zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Get in touch, say hello, and uh, you can also address my guest, Dr. Daniel Israel. He's a GP, he's a general practitioner in private practice. We're talking about swine flu, we're talking about colds, we're talking about what makes swine flu different. We're going to get to that right after this. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Indeed, my name is Kathy Kayla, and I'm hosting uh, Discam Medical Monday for the next hour. My guest is Dr. Daniel Israel. He is a He's a general practitioner in private practice. He's very, very well known here in Johannesburg. We're talking about swine flu. We're talking about colds. If you'd like to get in touch, this is how you do it. 34519, that's the SMS line. You can send us a message. You can also WhatsApp on 61 895 Get in touch. And uh, from anywhere else in the world, actually, you can use that WhatsApp number or that telegram number. Uh, you just add plus plus two seven the beginning all right so let's uh, so we've dealt with colds colds and flu just to sum up very similar only um flu symptoms are going to be sort of magnified right and you're also going to have a high fever which you won't have with a cold and you're going to have body aches and pains um is it true that the onset of flu is much more sudden than it is with a cold that cold kind of takes a while so I think what's relevant to our
0: listeners here is a lot of, is contrasting flu against respiratory tract infections in general, not yes. just cold. So because you know we know that kids who come to the doctor and adults and we see tonsillitis, a lot, pharyngitis, ear infections, etc. Um, yes, Kathy, absolutely. What you're saying about the onset is is really. Um, symptomatic or, 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 or illustrates that what the patient has is flu. Um, colds also come on quickly but if you look at the characteristics of flu, flu normally has an incubation time of just a few days um, say two to four days before um, Even and some studies have shown even less. So if you're exposed to someone with flu within a, you know, a day later you can present with the symptoms and the symptoms aren't as, well it depends on the type of flu which we'll talk about but they're not a slow, insidious onset of symptoms. They are um, a sudden onset of a ah, fever, terrible headache. You'll often hear how I have a patient who comes into the room saying, "I was feeling fine on Sunday night. I woke up on Monday morning, and I feel as though I'm on fire. I'm shaking. My body's sore. My head's pounding." And you know, they could even say they're vomiting. Um, so, so that, that, that's not your average cold, right? Um, so, so, so that's really how it how it presents.
1: Okay. So let's just talk about how do you know if it's flu versus a respiratory tract infection.
0: Okay so that's really interesting because the question there is to the listener is you know you don't have to take everything to the doctor when do you go to the doctor and how and and, and is there a treatment for it. So so we know that uh, that generally amongst our community particularly often severity is the indication of going to the doctor so someone with a mild ear pain might not come to the doctor but it's Are
1: you kidding we, go, we run to the doctor at, at the drop of a hat <laughs>
0: <laughs> we better do some education then. <laughs> okay. um, so 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 um, if a patient has these systemic symptoms and it's and, and there's a I wouldn't call it a pandemic but there's a breakout of flu at the time there's a good chance that it's flu and contrary to popular belief, and this is something we could do a whole show on just in itself. Having a fever is not a reason to run to the doctor because fevers are generally the body's way of dealing with a problem or exactly. at least a byproduct of the body's way of dealing with a problem. But it's not that if you get a fever, you better run to the doctor. So, the, But that said, this it means stage, that you're infectious, doesn't it it? it? it does mean that you're infectious. It means that you have an active infection. Um, so at the moment, I would say that if one presents with lots of these symptoms at the same time, that's a reason to suspect that you may have flu.
1: Very interesting. So, uh, you know, do you treat a, a temperature? Look, certainly it, feel, it makes you feel better if you do. But what Dr. Israel is saying, what, Dan, what uh, Dr. Daniel Israel is saying is that, if you treat a fever, you're taking away your body's ability to fight whatever the infection is. So, so that's
0: a debate, and it's a debate that we have amongst professionals and amongst our patients as well. I treat a fever, um, and that's part of the. It, it, when you have an in, when you have an infection, you produ- your body produces something called inflammatory cytokines. The inflammatory cytokines without getting too technical, move around your body. And one of the things that they cause is a temperature. By treating the fever, you aren't removing the inflammatory cytokines. So you can still have your body's natural response to being sick, but you don't have to suffer through all the discomfort. So I'm happy to treat a fever because it makes a patient have Feel moved better. from a miserable experience to an okay experience. That doesn't mean they won't get better. But the point that I'm driving home here is that Especially for our Jewish moms and dads out there Is that it's not always about My child has a temperature of 39 I'm in big trouble Sometimes it's about He has a temperature of 39 Let's make him feel better And let his body take care of it initially
1: So Alright, let's just put this back in the context of the flu A flu, you said, is a virus Yeah Right Viruses can't be treated They can't be treated with antibiotics, antifungals Because it's neither bacterial nor fungal Right so, essentially what we have to do is wait for our bodies to fight it.
0: Okay, so let, let's- So why are
1: we, te- why are we treating temperatures? Okay,
0: so let, let's talk a little bit about the, what, if, if I can, about the, just the context of flu the, the world. 100% you're the doctor, you're the expert. So that we understand why people make so much fuss about flu in the first place. Um, you know, just l- looking at the literature out there, there have been four major outbreaks of flu amongst the world. In the world, since from the from say 1900 onwards, in 1918 there were 50 million people who died of something called Spanish flu. In 1957 there was an Asian flu where two million people died. The Hong Kong flu in 1968, one million, and the, and, the, and most of our listeners will probably remember in 2009, what was became colloquially known as swan flu, where between 100,000 and 400,000 people around the world died. So. You know there is risk in flu. It's not just about um, having a cold or variants of a cold and letting it pass. So the natural question that you would probably ask me from there, Kathy, is: So how do you know when when there's a risk and what is the risk? So the groups, the the the, the population that suffers from flu are often the the very old. Sorry, the complications of flu are the very old, the very young, and those with other comorbid. Conditions, whether it's immunocompromised, like a cancer, HIV. Define
1: comorbid. What is comorbid? Well,
0: so anything that, that, that makes the body's immune system less able than a normal healthy person. So for sure, direct immunocompromised states like HIV, um, patients on immu- immunotherapy, cancer patients on chemotherapy, um, but also just frail, frail patients. We find that... When you find the patient with poor nutrition very far gets flu, that their body reserves are much less and they will get hit much harder. And those patients can become so ill that they land up in ICU with complications of flu, like pneumonia, and that's where the deaths happen. But that's obviously a very different picture to your average school-going child or working adult who, who gets the flu and lands up knocked out for five days in bed and then recovers.
1: All right, we're talking about the flu, we're talking about swine flu, we're talking about all the different kinds of flu, how you treat it. What are you meant to do if it's not, you know, if it can't be treated with antibiotics? Um, Daniel, is it common practice today for doctors to just issue, you know, if somebody comes to you with flu, to just dispense um, antibiotics? Okay, Even if it's prophylactic. Okay, so... A
0: doctor who gave antibiotics for flu would actually be making a misdiagnosis and an inappropriate treatment. Obviously, there is some diagnostic dilemma sometimes in a patient. So you'll look at a patient who has a red throat and what looks like a little bit of exudates on the throat and has a fever. And especially in a time like now in Johannesburg in July, you, a, a patient can have an influenza virus and a developing tonsillitis at the same time. So it's not always so clear cut. Uh, and we can talk now also about can you diagnose flu? Can you prove that it's flu? Um, so is getting antibiotics for flu inappropriate? The big question then to ask is what about antivirals? Because, Kathy, there are antiviral. There's an antiviral on the market, which you may have heard of. It's called Tamiflu is the trade name. Um, it was It was developed in the late 1990s and passed by the World Health Organization in one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine and that is the standard like so to speak prescribed treatment for flu. The question is do should you always give it? Is it given? Does it have side
1: effects? Is it bad for you? Okay, well, let's answer all of those questions. Is it bad for you? Should you always give it an... (laughs) Are there side effects of Tamiflu? So so the current recommendations
0: are that not every patient who has flu should get Tamiflu because it's not necessary. Your body will get rid of it itself. Um, We also know that just as is the case with antibiotics, the more a drug is used, the more a virus or a bacteria in that case becomes can become resistant to the drug. Now... Just to make this clear, we're not talking about it on an individual level. Often I have patients who come into my practice and say, I've already had Augmentin four times in the last two years. I don't think it works for me. That is a misnomer. We're treating a pathogen here. We're not treating a host. So you're not going to become an individual who this or that drug doesn't work for. The question is the actual flu itself, the influenza virus, if we treat it repetitively with Tamiflu, it will mutate that it no Change longer responds else. to Tamiflu. Right. So this is a very interesting ethical thing. We're talking about for the whole population. When a doctor goes and gives antibiotics repetitively, inappropriately, it doesn't do all that much wrong for the individual. The question, the thing is, though, that when it's done repetitively on a, in a community level, it causes resistance in the community. So the guidelines say that, in a you know, back to our discussion on flu, that you don't need to give every patient Tamiflu. But patients who are more at risk, of complications for sure it helps and we can talk about how much it helps um and patients who what i do in my practice are patients who are who are septic patients who are really unwell and i feel for you know as a doctor we treat the patient not just the disease so for reasons of personal personal reasons social reasons work we travel getting married next week that needs a need a bit of help i'm happy to give the medicine
1: very interesting i'm speaking to dr daniel israel he's a general practitioner in private practice we're talking about flu we're talking about swine flu recently we had uh, somebody even in our community who who died from from swine flu um we're going to be talking about the complications in a little bit more detail if you've got any questions if you've got any comments you're welcome to message us and get in touch and this is how you do it you can send an sms message that number is 34519, or you can get in touch via Telegram or WhatsApp. And that number is zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. If you want to get in touch from overseas, you do consult to people who live overseas, right? Because they're listening to us in over 80 countries. So <laughs> that good, number. It's a
0: good thing it's summer
1: for living right? <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> so here's your heads up. Plus <laughs> plus two seven. Six one eight nine five one zero one nine. If you've missed any numbers, get to highfm and it's on the front page. Okay, so talking about swine flu, how is swine flu different from any other flu type?
0: Okay, so here's the here's the here's the biggest letdown of your day, Kathy. I hope is that the flu that's going around at the moment is not really swine flu. All 90% plus of the people who are saying, ah, oh, my child has swine flu, I had swine flu, this one was hospitalized for swine flu, it's become the colloquial good Jewish <laughs> term that, you know, just like we have...
1: We need that little bit of yeah, extra. And I mean, now, you know, we <laughs> now chicken like soup
0: that. treats swine flu, not just flu. <laughs> but that said... Um, l- let me just explain to you how it works. So, so but it's so, very
1: serious. I mean, I know people who have been hospitalised.
0: Okay, so, so I remember in two thousand and nine when I was working in the hospitals, um, how a patient, you know, we used to isolate patients because we were very concerned that they had this new strain of swine flu. Flu is divided into four types of flu: A, B, C, D. D hasn't ever been found in human beings. C can cause an illness in in, in, in particularly kids, but it's very mild. So let's leave C and D out and talk about A and B. The one that's going around at the moment is A. A is the one that's more vicious. It gives more symptoms, and um, it, it really gives you your classical flu, or all, all, the, all the symptoms and signs we've discussed. Now, under A, there are various serotypes or subtypes of influenza A. Um, I'm not going to get too technical here, but basically the proteins on the virus – Or how they categorise, so that's how they look in the microscope and see what it's called, and they they termed there's an H and an N, so you get an H1N1, which is quite well known to our listeners. That's what's called swine flu, so to speak. Oh, the
1: H1N1 virus.
0: Exactly. And then the others, there's H2N2, there's H3N2. Now, some of the... And that means like how many proteins? It's, it's, it's almost name like a molecular. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a label given to the protein. So when, when, I, look, when I've, I spoke now about the different flus that have affected the world in the last 100 years, or you, those were all different flus. Now, interestingly, that Spanish influenza, which I told you about, is, happened in 1918 at the end of World War I. And how many people did it kill? That Millions? 50 million people, was an H1N1. Which is the
1: same nomenclature as the swine flu that broke out again in 2009. But more people surviving because we all came from those people who survived it the first time round. Is that right?
0: Survival of the fittest. Uh, maybe, but it might also be because today we are t- diagnosing early, giving support, you know, st- stopping infection, immunizing, which we'll get onto. Um, so, so, but, but what I'm saying is that the question that you, back to your question is that you're asking me swine flu. What, what's the story with this word swine? So. Yeah, let's talk about swine. So, so swine flu is great for the Jewish community because it just,
1: you know. It it's the most it, unkosher. It's against things. everything we stand for, <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so, it's much more interesting to go to the Shabbos table and say, I've had sw- I should call
1: it pig flu, man, not swine flu. <laughs> I've had the trifle flu <laughs> <laughs> the of <Khazisha> flu <laughs> <laughs> and, I che- and I treated
0: it with my chickens <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's intravenous that's it okay so so um, in 2009 the flu that was isolated then was a flu that flu affects birds as well and affects certain animals certain mammals so swine flu if, from 2009 if it affected um, swines pigs and birds and because it was found as a relatively new thing in a whole lot of pigs, it got the nickname swine flu. And that's why it's called swine flu, but it doesn't mean that it's directly from pigs or for, that came from pigs to humans. Now, interestingly, the flu that's being isolated at the moment is this influenza A. We, we haven't been isolating it to the serotype or the subtype, but where we have, and like Lancet Laboratories does that a lot and... Um, so, so where we have, we are finding that this is an H3N2 virus, which is not swan flu. So, oh, interesting. So it's not the H1N1. It's the H1. No, H1N1. But if you look at the stats, and I have them here in front of me, you'll see that in the last couple of months, there's been a huge explosion of H3N2 in Johannesburg. That's even another one. It's now. a different flu, and it's not swan flu. So. What, what Does do, not have a name? So, so Well, no, because it doesn't, because they only get named when they become pandemics. And it's actually not a pandemic at the moment. People are feeling very much around Joburg at the moment that, wow, there's a pandemic of flu this year. But if you look at the data from the NICD, the National Institutes of Communicable Diseases, yeah. you'll see that in the last month, the stats of, I spoke to one of the empath pathologists last week, and the stats are very similar to the number of cases last year as well. I think that from our in perspective is that we may be seeing a bit more of it in the northern suburbs at the moment. And that's why for our kids at our Jewish schools, and there is like an explosion where they've Well, closed it's
1: communities p- and within communities yeah, exactly. you have your influence. So this community
0: happens to be a cluster that's affected at the moment. But it's not that this year the flu has been much worse than last year.
1: All right. If you want, would like to argue with Dr. Daniel Israel, GP in private practice, you can do so. And uh, how do you do that? Well, you can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. You can also SMS on 34519. My name's Cathy Kathy Kaler. This is Discam Medical Monday. We're talking about swine flu. We're talking about flus versus colds versus flus versus all the different kinds of uh, flus that you get. Got any questions? Get in touch. This is Medical Monday brought
0: to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care.
1: My name is Kathy Kayla, and this is the Disk and Medical Monday. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm speaking to Dr. Daniel Israel. He is a GP. He's a general practitioner. He's a doctor in uh, private practice. We're talking about flus. We're talking about swine flu. And uh, you mentioned just before we took those ads about a pandemic. It's only when it becomes a pandemic that a flu becomes named, whether it's avian flu, whether it's. Uh, what was that other one? I think it was the Aussie flu a few years ago. Do you remember the Aussie flu? It gave South Africans another reason to hate <laughs> the Australians, never mind the cricket and the, and the rugby. Um, and now we're talking about swine flu, but now there's, there's two different strains. You have mentioned the H1N2 and the H3N2. Is that right? That's right. Um, so how do you classify a pandemic?
0: So a pandemic is when you get an outbreak of a disease that is much bigger than its usual pattern. So if if every uh, even if it's a you know even if it's a disease, it's a rhinovirus is very widespread. Everyone, I mean, lo- most people will tell you that they've had a cold in the year. Um You know, even though the numbers are massive there, that wouldn't be classified as a pandemic. But when in a lim- in a in a limited period of time, there's an absolute outbreak of a of a condition, whatever it is, and I stand to be corrected, but I think particularly an infectious condition or, uh, you know, you don't get a pandemic of hypertension. Uh, That's actually not true. I'm just thinking in my mind because diabetes, for example, has is reaching pandemic proportions and that's not infectious. But when there is an outbreak of um, a condition that affects People much more than the average pattern and particularly when it's worldwide or at least continent, like big geographical areas, it gets classified as a pandemic. Um, and the World Health Organization has, has, you know, they've got different stages. They've got six stages that they, that, that, that they go through and see whether the, the, the like um, how many, requirements are met. How many in a hundred thousand are getting exactly, affected and to and call it a pandemic or not? Um, at the moment, as I said, flu is not a pandemic, but it's definitely rough. Certainly,
1: Ralph. Okay. Um, talking about uh, swine flu, how does one treat it? You did mention Tamiflu. Okay. So let's talk about what Tamiflu does. Okay. Tamiflu is an antiviral. It's quite a novel. Uh, it's, it's not like an antibiotic. It's quite interesting it, because, I mean, if we're developing antiviral drugs, all of a sudden... And I suppose that that's all come from the research that's been done into AIDS and HIV. Yes,
0: yeah, so HIV is a retrovirus. It's yeah. a different type of virus. But you're right. I mean, often and if I had an antiviral drug for every type of virus. You'd be, be able business. to business. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Preventative <laughs> dentistry, now medicine. <laughs> it would be able to keep people well. But the reality is that you can't treat a virus. You said that at the beginning of the show. You're right. As a whole, you can't treat a virus. There are some viruses that through technology we are able to control and treat to a degree. HIV is a retrovirus um and by giving HIV drugs, not just one drug at a time, but more than one at a time, we stop the virus from being able to replicate. And, th- th- but it's specific to that. You can't use HIV drugs to treat influenza. Now, influenza is a drug where, where there's been a lot of research because of the effects the distor- disastrous effects it's had in the world over years. And there is, there is a, a drug out there. There's more than one drug out there, um, but they work differently and without getting to one was more for influenza A, one more for influenza B, but, um, Tamiflu is a drug that treats influenza A. The interesting part, though, is that Tamiflu doesn't kill influenza A. So when you go to the doctor with your strep throat and he does a swab and sees that it's streptococcus and it needs to have an antibiotic, if you take enough of the right antibiotic where there's a sensitivity to that antibiotic, it will kill the bug and your throat will get better. With the Tamiflu, The Tamiflu, and the studies have shown this, does not, your body still has to take care of the flu. The Tamiflu just reduces the severity and the length of the flu. Now, what's been interesting is that, obviously, in 1999, when there was an outbreak of flu and the World Health Organization wanted to, you know, okay, Tamiflu, and they wanted to push out Tamiflu to try and make a big difference in the world, there was a lot of enthusiasm for it. The question is now, 19 years later, when we look at the data, how much... Difference does Tamiflu really make? So the answer to that is that, depending on the study you look at, like everything else in medicine. But generally, if you start Tamiflu in the right period of time, it decreases the length of the infection by depends on the study, but say two or three days, and it decreases the severity by say thirty or forty percent. But it doesn't get rid of it. So I'll have patients still going to go through it. Yeah, I have patients have found me up and said, "But I started the Tamiflu, and I still feel sick." (laughs) <laughs> you are still going to feel sick. Yeah. Um, so, so that's an important thing. How does the Tamiflu work? It stops the virus from being able to replicate. What's really important about Tamiflu is that you have to start the Tamiflu in a given window. If you don't start, you, you can't, and this is really challenging for us as general practitioners, is you can't suspect somebody has flu. Tell them, give it a week and let's see how you go. And if you're not getting better, we'll help you out a bit with a bit of Tamiflu. Even though, the literature shows that you should still give them you, you may still give them tamiflu at that point the efficacy of the tamiflu at that point is very little
1: how do you know where a patient is and what that window is
0: very good question because i was looking at the literature and 33% of people who have this virus don't even have symptoms according to the literature during that window period no at all so you can get you, I, I think that's probably an overestimate on, on percentages, but you can have the virus and hardly have any symptoms and then present with some symptoms and think that you've just got sick suddenly and you've actually way into it. So we don't know, but we do know that when somebody is very well and suddenly they get hit within a day with a headache and a fever and the a, and a things we spoke about, The chances are that's when the virus has expressed itself, and that's when the clock starts ticking. So then the question that we ask as doctors is, how long have you had it, and are you, do you need it? Do you need the Tamiflu? Now I've discussed this with some of the, you know, I'm a GP as you said. Like I've discussed this with some of the bigger minds that be out there, and. you, you know, there's there's a lot of opinion that Tamiflu is quite re- – already the virus is quite resistant to it, and it doesn't make that much difference.
1: So one can't take Tamiflu as a prophylactic, as a preventative measure?
0: One can. But I, I, when I'll, I'll come to that now. So one can. Okay, but so let's talk about
1: – All right, so yeah, I'm going to
0: so make a note treatment, to talk about – um, if a patient certainly is very old, very young, like we're talking about a, t- a tiny baby who is, is at risk, a, prim, a, um, a patient who's immunocompromised, a frail patient, so giving Tamiflu in the right window period is probably a recommendation. If a patient's just a normal guy off the street and he's otherwise healthy, it's certainly not a must, but I don't withhold that from my patients because... Certainly from personal experience, I see it makes a big difference to the severity of the infection. If you sit with a 9 out of 10 symptoms or a 6 or 7 out of 10, it makes a big difference. It just beckons the question Is that if we overuse Tamiflu, are we going to create for the population more resistant more, strains?
1: Exactly. That's. I mean, that's what you know. we're hearing medical professionals saying that that's exactly where MRSA, um, this drug-resistant mm, exactly. um, bacteria is coming from, is that people are being over-prescribed antibiotics. That's the conversation that's happening in medical circles, in journals, and and in homes.
0: Exactly. So the only difference here, where the reason why this hasn't hit the news like that has, is because in most cases influenza is self-limiting. So even if you don't give the Tamiflu, in most cases the patient gets better, whereas antibiotics are a lot more challenging because sometimes you need to give antibiotics, and then the question is, which antibiotics, and only give them when they need it, et cetera.
1: Very interesting. So you can take Tamiflu as a prophylactic. Okay, yes. so okay, <laughs> last thing on the treatment
0: <laughs> yes. is is with Tamiflu. Is I'm often asked the question, but doctor, I've been told that the effects of Tamiflu are worse than the, the yeah, side, effects are worse side effects. Yeah, let's talk about those side effects. Then worse the help. So why should I take it? Okay, so there are side effects from Tamiflu. The most notable ones are nausea and vomiting. Um, and there has been some study into the, like, neuropsycholog- neuropsychiatric effects of Tamiflu because Tamiflu can make a person have bad nightmares and it's described hallucinations. And so, you know, all drugs have side effects. That's the bottom line. All, all work. drugs have side effects. Yeah, because they don't only affect the thing that you want. But the majority of people don't get side effects on Tamiflu. So I don't say to my patients, No, you better not take that because it's worse than it's good. But I do tell them that if they don't feel, if it is a patient who needs it and we prescribe it and they don't feel good on it, we can always stop it. The majority of the patients in my practice who have had Tamiflu respond well and they don't get side effects from it. I have had a couple, had one even today, who I've stopped the Tamiflu on and that's absolutely fine. But that's it. The difficulty at the moment is that Tamiflu comes in tablets, in capsules. And it's very really hard to get a suspension. There is a suspension, it's hard to get. So a lot of the little kids, if we decide that they are candidate for Tamiflu, have to dissolve the capsule in water and have this bit, uh, Yeah. So it
1: leaves a lot to be desired. All right. Um, message from Darren. Oh, and there's another one. There's also you've got some shout-outs. How about that? I'm speaking to Dr. Daniel Israel, and uh, we're talking about swine flu. If you've got any comments, any questions, get in touch. 34519, that's the SMS line. Those SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. You can also WhatsApp us on 61 So Darren wants to know, how long after flu is it okay to start exercising again?
0: Okay, great question. Um, thanks, Darren. So, so, flu gives you myositis. It gives you inflammation and m- muscle damage and breakdown. And, um, your heart's a muscle too. So, you know, ju- you, you hear the stories of people who had flu, ran the comrades, dropped dead. And that's obviously the concern is that when we needed there- a heart transplant. Yeah. So we, exactly. Yeah. So when, when there's myositis and proper systemic symptoms, a person should not exercise at, at all. Um, but but once that's settled down and they left with the, what I'm going to calling the effects of flu. So, you know, a cough, an ongoing runny nose, that can go on for two three weeks. They can exercise in that time. Um, remember, flu so how do you peaks at, exactly. So peaks flu peaks are two days in most cases. One or two days feeling terrible goes on normally for five days or so. Four to five days, the infectious phase of it. And then tails off. And this is from studies. This is not my opinion. This is what studies have shown when they have swabbed people and looked at infectiousness in in samples uh, at different times. Um, interestingly, I read that in children, flu can go on. The, the infectiousness can go on for up to two weeks, which opens a huge thing for our schools. As when a child has flu, how long do you keep them off school for? Normally, we do the active period of the disease, so four or five days. And if they've had fevers, and they'd make sure they're fever free for a day or two after that period has elapsed before they come back. But, the, you know, it would be interesting to see in the future whether we actually need to be booking them off for longer.
1: So interesting. You know, we also live in a in a day and age where I can remember a friend of mine, her son was, I don't know, he, he needed antibiotics, he had bronchitis, and they went to the doctor in the morning, got the antibiotics. As soon as he got the antibiotics, he could swim, he could do it. When I was sick growing up, you had to stay in bed.
0: <laughs> but now we have antibiotics, right?
1: Right, which are over-prescribed. <laughs> right, exactly. But how important is bed rest?
0: So rest is important. Rest is important for the body. From an, that's how your, your immune system is more active when you're resting, so that's important. Fluid is important. Any, anywhere in any first world or any evidence-based website, you will find that fluids are important to keep well hydrated. And then we treat the symptoms. So we treat, the, you know, leaving Tamiflu and all that aside, the main treatment for flu is paracetamol, ibuprofen, which is an anti-inflammatory if necessary and where um indicated or possible. Um, maybe sort of decongestant and rest, fluids and rest. And it gets better just with that.
1: How important is something like humidifying? Are you, are you, Depends are on the you, doctor are you a you're
0: either a pro or an anti. Oh
1: really? That's controversial. <laughs> well, oh okay, come, let's talk about this. No, <laughs> no is, is it a the, good thing or I, I not? think
0: steaming is wonderful. I think it, it helps move the phlegm and it, 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 mucus and it helps make it thinner. But the reality is that there are some people who hold very much by, um by but in very moist environments, funguses grow more, and you can introduce fungus. But the reality is, we don't keep people in moist environments for weeks on end. So yes, it's important. I, I, I tell my patients to humidify.
1: Yeah, especially. I mean, if you're sleeping, just put some eucalyptus or some Absolutely. lemon or whatever. Absolutely, and if you're using
0: a heater, that, that for sure. He, heaters dry air out more, and the spores. And this goes back to what you yes, said: is the that spores the spores, spores move easier in dry air.
1: Yeah, which is why we it's more prevalent in winter and all of that. But we'll talk about behaviours in a little while. Um shout out to Doc Daniel, best of the best, supported by a phenomenal team. That's from I'm sure that it's Rabbi Dovi family. But it says Rabbi Darvi and family. So it could be Rabbi Darvi or Rabbi Dovi. Either one. Thank you very much for getting yeah, in touch nice with me. my guest, Doctor Daniel Israel. We're talking about swine flu. We're talking about uh, you know, all the different aspects of your life that I suppose, it can affect us. How do we prevent it?
0: Okay, that's really important because if prevention is better than cure, sure. right? So <clears throat> let's talk about the main thing we've probably left out so far, and that's immunization. Your flu shots. I am asked every year, should I get a flu shot? You could probably Google it and find there's a whole...
1: <laughs> <laughs> different answer. ...company yeah, that Duffin. supports that question.
0: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so... The, the, immunization is shown to reduce the incidence of flu by up to 33%. Obviously, again, it depends on the studies. Some are, say 11 to 18%, but they definitely reduce the incidence of flu. Um, we, we, we are seeing this year, some people have had Im- immunizations and still get the flu. Um, as proven by the swabs on the flu, which we can discuss as well. Um, but that's not surprising to me because immunizations of, Flu are not meant to eradicate. It's not like having a rubella, which is German measles vaccine, and knowing that now you're immune and you can't get German measles. Because remember, based on what we've said, there's a lot of different strains of flu. And every year they come out with a new injection. Uh, Interesting. Twice a year worldwide, there's a new flu immunization that is developed. That immunization is made based on what is suspected to be Based on the epidemiological studies, the most um, likely strains of flu to come out that year. Sometimes they get it a bit wrong. And sometimes a different strain is more prevalent than the one that they thought would be prevalent. And the, you could ask me, why don't they just cover for all of them in the injection? Um, flu mutates every year. So every single year, as people have flu, they, have to they keep pass it on and they keep, it keeps mutating. So you can't just have one size fits all take the injection. You cover it against all flus. You have to go... Um, every year and, re- and redo it. Now, it takes six months to make that vaccine. So sometimes, you know, for the research, development, production, to get it out there to all the millions of people who use it, so sometimes by, by the time the vaccine's been developed and produced and sent out, there's already new strains or different st- strains than were expected that have become active. And therefore, um, it sometimes works and it sometimes doesn't. But the question of whether one should do it, is almost in most most cases like a universal yes. Um, there the, are the two types of vaccines. There's live vaccines and, and non-live vaccines. Um, and and the flu vaccine at the moment cannot give you flu. So that's a question that people ask. If I, I, I this, uh, doctor, I never used to have it. In the one year that I had the flu vaccine, I got flu. I'm not having it again. I see Kathy putting her hands up here in the studio. <laughs> no, you weren't
1: supposed to say that.
0: <laughs> so um, busted! Uh, but, but that's exactly what but happened. No, I the one year
1: that I had the flu injection, I got flu. I never get flu.
0: Yeah. So, 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 uh, so first of all, it might have been a strain thing, like we spoke about, different strain. Yeah. Second of all, was it
1: actually flu? Okay, well, there are a lot of questions, but the, the not only was it flu, it was swine flu. <laughs> I was off for almost three weeks. Yeah, that's terrible. And you just can't get up. So, so the yeah. thing is that,
0: um, the, the injection doesn't make you sick and it definitely, definitely reduces your risks of getting flu. It takes two weeks or so to get the full antibodies to the vaccine. So, you know, for our listeners now who are thinking, well, I should have done an injection, but I know it's too late. And you only get your vitality points early on the year if you do your <laughs> flu vaccine. So the question is, do you still do it? Absolutely, because flu goes on the whole year. And it's I mean, it's worse at the moment. And in August, people are still getting flu. So for sure, you should do the flu vaccine even today if you haven't done it. Um, but the, the, But it takes two weeks to get full antibodies from it. And therefore, you really should do it in advance.
1: Okay. Well, there you have it. <laughs> I'll be coming to the high-fem
0: offices to give you a few vaccines. <laughs> yeah, we'll
1: talk afterwards. <laughs> it's how to clear an office in five seconds flat. <laughs> how do we prevent it in terms of our own behavior? Okay, so... How, how do our own behaviors, aside from, you know, having having the flu jab, how does that impact our ability to contract or... Protect ourselves from flu.
0: So flu spread by three mechanisms. The one is direct contact. So if you have someone who coughs directly into your face, into your eyes, or you know, a kid and you brushing their hair and they cough in your face, that's like a primary contact and that's the one way it spreads. The second way it spreads is through an aerosol effect, which is what scares people. Um, You often hear people in work environments say, if you're sick, please go home. We don't want to get sick because when coughing and sneezing is the main vector, and when patients cough and sneeze and then the spores go into the air, you can breathe it in. And there are millions of dro- micro droplets of flu that go into the air when you sneeze or cough, and you only need a couple of those to go away. I was reading one article that said one into your body to get the flu. So, um, you know, that is a worry. Um, that said, it, well-ventilated rooms definitely decrease the risk of, of of the germs just moving around the room. So, you know, it leaves the whole question, what about air conditioners? And are there, you know, there are bacterial filters on them, and do they work for viruses? I don't know. That would be a great topic to get someone, an expert on the phone, and ask them. But if you work in an environment or live in an environment where you can open a window, it definitely helps. And... I would say, you know, pe- the, pe- our old, the, uh, the, our grandmothers always taught us that if you go outside, you'll get a sook and you'll, you know, the cold air will make you sick. At the end of the day, I think that not having the air move, even if it's cold, will make you sicker. So, so, so answering your question, you know, don't allow people to cough in your face or cough in theirs. Cough into your sleeve or into, not into your hands, which we'll talk about now. Elbow. Into your elbow. Um, and well, good ventilation. And then washing hands. Washing hands is the biggest of all of them. People often ask me, how do you, Dr. Israel, how do you not get sick? I do get sick. Um, please God, I won't now again, but, um, I, I wash my hands between every, every person I touch and every, and, 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 flu exists on, on door handles and on, so if you, if
1: Escalators. you. Escalators. Absolutely. Elevators. It
0: really does. So I was I was reading a thing about it when they do the swabs in 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 porous material it's less because it goes in and it goes deeper but 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 on a door handle it can last for hours on the door handle.
1: Not only that, if you're driving into a parking, into a shopping centre, that little button that you press for (laughs) the ticket, use something on your finger or use your knuckle or use something that you're not going to come into contact with your face, you know, because it's anything that other people are touching. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: But you have to make sure you don't go with sugar in the process. And that's important.
1: Oh, gosh, that's a whole nother show. (laughs) No,
0: because people, you know, it's a great fuel for OCDness. All
1: right. So let's just very, very quickly. Um, Every time we are exposed to a pathogen, right, whether it's bacteria, fungal, virus, it comes into our body. And as we survive that, our body's got like this whole library, right, and each book as you want to, you know, let's use a library analogy. Each book is a different virus, a different pathogen, right? And so we're building on that all the time. Is there a way that we can continue to do that, but lessen how ill we get?
0: So when you go through an illness and you build up your own antibodies to it, you obviously become more resistant to it.
1: We want to ultimately make ourselves (coughs) more resistant. The problem is that the
0: mutation of the of these pathogens make it harder and harder. And viruses mutate more often. Obviously bacteria don't mutate as much, but they still mutate, which is why when we do swabs on people on their throats or their urine samples, we find it's resistant to certain antibiotics because of the mutation. So, you know, more, more than trying to build up your, your badges for what you're resistant to, I think is trying to maintain good infectious control and keep yourself free from Direct exposures, because you're always going to have path- pathogens that you're not resistant to. All
1: right. We've got to wrap up. What is it that you've learned about flu that you would like us to know, your patients?
0: That flu flu's, flu's bad. Flu sucks. But people get over flu just by looking after themselves. Get over it if you've been infected and prevent yourself from getting infected if you're exposed to it. That said, obviously, if you're very sick and you're worried, you should go to the doctor because we can swab for flus and see whether or not a patient has flu, and appropriately trying to support the patient to get through the flu. The main thing is that the flu season will end. The hype will die down, and next year the flu season will come again. And do everything you can before the flu season that you're not in the same position or your kids are not in the same position as they were this year by vaccinating before.
1: There we go. Dr. Daniel Israel, thank you so much for sharing your expertise, for sharing your knowledge and your experience. And uh, really, you've got to back. With you. You gotta come back. Pleasure to be with you Lovely after all these years. You. It's great to be with you, Kathy. <laughs> That's uh, Medical Monday. We're wrapping up now. Thank you so much for uh, all of your messages. And uh I'll see you same time, same place next week. God bless.